you please turn in your Bibles to the book of Philippians as I uh, tried to figure out something to preach that would kind of fit in with the new year, something challenging, and perhaps. Uh, and so last year, according to what I studied, according to what I saw, I preached from Philippians 3, uh, and it was um, uh, like uh, 8, through cha- 8, uh, 8 through 11. Uh, this morning we're going to look at Ephesians, I'm sorry, Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 16. Would you please stand for the reading of God's Word this morning? Let's hear the Word of the Lord. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I might attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are material think this way, and if in anything you lack otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Please be seated. Let's go to God in prayer. I would ask you to pray for me as I preach this text and pray for yourselves as you sit on the proclamation of God's holy word this morning. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we would ask you, And that you might, according to your grace, be with us. That you would forgive us for our sins. That you would help us, O God, to sit and listen. That you would be with me as I preach this word to your people. That your spirit, O God, would apply it to us. For we know, O Lord, unless you work, it is all for no good. So we pray that you would prepare our hearts and prepare our minds, O Lord. You would take away any unbelief that we have, and that you would grant to us, O God, ears that are open and hearts that are ready to be instructed from the Scriptures. We work grace upon grace. In Christ's name, amen. Do you like a challenge? Some people love challenges. Some people not so much. Some people do what they could to avoid any kind of challenge. Did you know that living the Christian life in the way that we were called to live it in Scripture is a challenge? It's a challenge in which every one of us is engaged. If you're a believer, if you're following after Christ, if you're trusting Jesus for your salvation, then you are engaged in the challenge. The challenge is woven into the very fabric of our religion. The Lord Jesus himself said uh, to take care, to count the cost, Luke 14, 27 through 29, Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. 
For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he can has enough to complete it? He also said in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 10, Blessed are those who per- are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. John 15 and verse 20, Remember the word I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they're also going to persecute you. And we ask this question. What kind of individual would get involved in a religion that is woven with trials and challenges that we really cannot meet? In Hebrews chapter 11, we read of what happened to many of the saints of old. And you can see by reading these few verses I'm going to read to you in just a minute that... uh, It is indeed difficult and challenging for those who are committed to serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to this. This is Hebrews chapter 11, starting with part of verse 35. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. There's a commitment there, you see, an anticipation of what's going to happen to us in the future. I read something as I was preparing the sermon. I don't remember who wrote it. One person said this, if Christians would think more of the reality of heaven and the fact that they will be in heaven one day, he said it would do a great deal for their commitment. And it is exactly true. So here these people were willing to go under, uh, undergo suffering uh, in order that they may have a better life, that, in other words, the blessings of God to come. Others um, suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with a sword, they went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world has not worthy, and wandered about in the desert and the mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. So it is challenging to live the Christian life. Now, we don't see this type of persecution happening today, at least in our country, at least yet. doesn't mean it's not going to happen. So as we consider this, we can ask this question, is it worth it? And I would tell you, absolutely it's worth it. But you've got to keep an eternal perspective in your mind all the time. Christ did not come to give us heaven on earth. We possess the privileges of being his children. We are part of the kingdom of heaven today, but not in its fullness. And so being a part of that kingdom calls us to action. It calls us to faithfulness. This morning I have us to see that because God has us a place reserved in heaven that is certainly ours, we should meditate upon that and find strength for being faithful to God as we live our life today. Three things this morning. The believer's sanctification is improved by looking inward. The believer's sanctification is improved by looking forward. And the believer's sanctification is improved by looking upward. And Paul's talking about sanctification in these verses. Becoming more like the Lord Jesus Christ, growing in the image of the Lord Jesus Christ, in the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the first thing then, our sanctification is improved by looking inward. The Apostle Paul took a spiritual evaluation of his own life. And after the analysis, he realized that he was lacking spiritually in many imperfections. It talks about this in the above verses that I read at the beginning of the sermon in chapter 3, starting in verse 8. Paul knows that he has uh, imperfections. 
He knows that he has a sin in his life. And as you read this above, here's his passion. Uh, he wants to know more of Christ. So what does he mean? Doesn't he know Jesus? I want to know Christ. And what he's saying, he wants to know him more fully. Day by day to know him more fully and to walk with him more closely. Uh, there was a song written by a band recorded called The Classics 4. How many of y'all have heard of The Classics 4? Did y'all listen to the radio when you were growing up? They had a song, Dennis Shows in The Classics 4. Maybe they were just in Mississippi. Let me quote a song to you that they released. And I bet you've heard the song before. Every day with you, girl, is sweeter than the day before. And every day I love you more and more and more. Doesn't ring a bell. If Paul had written that, he would have written it this way. Every day with you, Lord, is sweeter than the day before. And every day I long to love you more and more and more. He was committed to developing and maintaining a closeness to Christ. And he was willing to do what took what was necessary in order for that to happen. Um, he desires to be just like Jesus. And he says here that uh, uh, he is speaking of the resurrection. He's thinking forward to the last day, forward to not simply going to heaven, but to the resurrection itself. Uh, Paul had not been made perfect. He says this in the text. Uh, I'm not already made perfect, but I press on. He has not been raised from the dead. Uh, Paul still had to face death in his life. And if you, if you read Second Timothy, the end of Second Timothy, uh, where Paul says he's being poured out as a drink offering, Paul uh used the certainty of heaven to give him courage and Christ's presence with him to defend the faith over and over again. As he was before, people who hated him and hated the gospel, he used and depended upon the Lord, but he looked forward to the blessings that were going to be his and that helped him to maintain his faithfulness to uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, so he has not attained the resurrection. He has not been made perfect yet. He's still a sinner. And he recognizes this, and yet he continues to uh, fulfill his ministry as he looks forward to the certainty of his own resurrection. Do you do that? Do you do that as a Christian this morning? Do you meditate upon your own resurrection from the dead? That your body's going to be reconstituted, the grave opened up, then it be reconstituted, I suppose, and then you'll stand on the earth, it says in the Scriptures. And you'll see Christ. That's the great power of Christ. That's the great end of the gospel. that The Lord Jesus Christ is what he has done for us. So Paul, him, as he thinks about that, gives him energy and zeal to continue on. And he says here at the end of the uh, above verses in, in, uh, in verse 11 of chapter 3, that I by any means possible may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Is this expressing some kind of uncertainty on the part of the Apostle Paul? Uh, that, uh, uh, that by any means I possibly I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Is Paul uh, suggesting that there's an uncertainty there? Listen, the resurrection of the dead is by God's grace. Just as salvation is by God's grace, so is the resurrection. It's the work of Christ. They're inseparable. Salvation and the resurrection of the dead are inseparable. What is Paul saying here? Well, if I may read this to you, the doctrine of the resurrection of the dead, in his view, that which made Christianity is that which made Christianity of such an inestimable value 
And he was going to be earnest in his efforts to serve Christ, to participate in the full honor and the glory of such a resurrection. He would be earnest in his struggles. Uh, he would be watchful. He would take heed to himself. And he would be faithful in his labors by all cost and by all means. There's not an expression here of uncertainty. But what Paul is saying here, he is going to labor. He is going to work and be faithful as if it did depend upon him. It is so worthwhile to strive for this and to work for this and to look forward to this by God's grace. It is by the grace of God that he's saved. It's by the grace of God he'll be resurrected. But he's not sitting back and saying, it's going to happen. I don't need to do anything. Because I'm going to be raised from the dead. Therefore, I don't have to worry about it. And Paul says, I will strive by any means possible to attain the resurrection of the dead. I'm not going to sit back and do nothing. I'm not going to live as if I don't have responsibilities. It is a fool who claims to be a Christian as he's no responsibilities in his work, in his commitment. That being a believer, being committed to Christ, calls us to action. Calls us to faithfulness. Calls us to commitment. And if you have someone that thinks Jesus does not care how you live, he does not care about your faithfulness, you're wrong. What does Christ say in John fourteen fifteen? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And listen, look at this. What is the source of Paul's energy? As he says here in uh, 3, um, and we we're starting in verse 12 again, not that I've already attained it, uh, this is already perfect, but I press on to make my own, because Christ Jesus had made me his own. And it says in the New York Standard, which is a better translation than this, that Christ saved him for a purpose. It's not just that uh, he made me his own, but he made me his own for a reason. And Paul looks at what's happening in his own life as the future that is certain to him as why the Lord Jesus Christ saved the Apostle Paul. Uh, if anyone stood the challenges of being a Christian, it was the Apostle Paul. I'm not going to read it to you. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 21 through 28, you read there all the trials he's experienced for preaching the gospel. He was beaten. He was whipped. Uh, Forty lashes minus one. He was uh, in the sea for night and a day. All these things that happened to him. Uh, and yet, he still continued on in his faithfulness to uh, the gospel, to the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Well, he was a true believer. He was sincerely a man of faith. He believed what Christ had said. He believed the scriptures and he believed the certainty of his own resurrection from the dead. And that motivation, again, is found in the Lord Jesus Christ and why Christ has saved him. I press on so that I may hold of for that which I also have been laid hold of by Jesus Christ. I got to slow down a minute. I'm going to read it slowly. I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Jesus Christ. That's how it's translated in the American Standard, which is a better translation than what we have in the English Standard Version. I'm going to read it again. I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Jesus Christ. Paul questions here, why did Christ save me? What was the purpose of Jesus bringing me into a relationship with himself? Well, you can see this. A part of the purpose was to 
bring Paul out of a condemnation and to a saving relationship with himself. A part of the purpose was to cause Paul and equip Paul to be the greatest missionary the church has ever known. So many works, so many churches were established by the Apostle Paul in all of his journeys, and yet, even though he suffered so much, he did not quit. He has in mind to bless his ministry. He has in mind to bless the Apostle Paul. He has in mind, Christ has in mind to encourage the Apostle Paul. Christ has in mind to strengthen the Apostle Paul. Christ has in mind to be with the Apostle Paul in all things. And he has in mind to bring the Apostle Paul to heaven. So Paul looks at all this. Why did Christ save me? Ask yourself that question. Why am I a Christian? Why did God show me mercy? Why did God bring me into his kingdom? Well, it was because ultimately, and all the responsibilities that we have as believers, ultimately to bring us into heaven. That's the end that is before you. Bring us into heaven. Bring us into glory with the Lord Jesus Christ. So the believer, then sanctification is improved by looking inward and recognizing our desperate need for grace, as Paul did. You remember the Apostle Paul, before his conversion, hated Christ. He hated the church. And yet, once he was converted on the road to Damascus, he was a lover of the gospel, a lover of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the second thing is the believer's sanctification is improved by forgetting. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. Thomas Manton, there's a whole, his complete works from the library. I would encourage you to read him if you've never read him. Or if you've read him, read him again. He's so good. Thomas Manton said that what is behind is worldliness. Now, Paul was not a, by the way that we would view it, a wicked man before his conversion. Think about it. He was a Pharisee. Uh, He says in Philippians he was uh, perfect according to the law. He saw that sin was not a problem in his life because the law to the Apostle Paul was all external. He had never done these things. Therefore, he was not guilty of them. That was Paul's view of himself. And yet, as he began to understand that he was a sinner and he came to Christ, so what he says, all things that happened in the past that he is going to not think about it. He's going to put it behind him. And uh, let me bring this uh, to you. There may be things in your life that you have done that you still simply can't get over them. You still have a twinge of conscience. You think about it, a woman had an abortion. A life was lost. A life was taken. And in my opinion, uh, a woman will never get over that. But we have to cut things loose. I'm not saying any hard-hearted fashion at all. But dwelling on sins of the past is something that we do not need to do. We learn from that and we move on forward. Uh, we can't do anything to change a sin that we've committed in the past. Recalling them into the present I think is hurtful to our sanctification. We praise God for his forgiveness. 
But the guilt that we had in the past has been removed from us by the Lord Jesus Christ and by his grace and by his working. Forgetting what lies behind, he says here in the text. And if we fail to do that, whatever it may happen to be, I'll say somebody committed murder and they're in prison and they're believers. Well, you can't change that. You can't bring somebody back to life. There's nothing you can do to undo the past. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was um, a great preacher in England, has a book called Spiritual Depression. In that book, he has a chapter called That Certain Sin. He says that sin uh, that the individual just cannot get out of their mind. They can't forget about it. They can't uh, forgive themselves for it. And Packer, I mean, uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd Jones says that this is something that is not healthy and it's something that is not necessary. What does it say in the Bible? As far as the east is from the west, so far has removed our transgressions from us. It does no good to dwell on the past sins unless it serves in some way as instruction to how you should live to not repeat it again. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. What was the Apostle Paul doing prior to his conversion? I told you a minute ago. Persecuting the church. Forgetting what lies behind, he says here. Now, it's not just forgetting what lies behind. And that's not the end of it. He says this, pressing on to what is ahead. So he doesn't look behind himself, he looks forward. What is ahead for Paul? Well, glories that he can't imagine. Uh, the love of Christ known more fully than he could ever possibly know it in this life. That's what's ahead of the Apostle Paul. And there are three different times in here when he uses the talks about striving for it, reaching for it, straining for it. It's a picture of a man who is eagerly striving, stretching, reaching for the world to come. Uh, that is striving uh, to serve Christ so that at the end of it all, he may be in glory with the Lord. I press on to the prize, he says in the text. Well, what's the prize? It is that crown that does not fade. Again, think of your place in heaven. Think of your place in glory when you will be there with the saints all through the ages that have been redeemed by Christ. And Christ will be there. It was a reality to the Apostle Paul. And does it not serve us to help us deal with the grief that comes with the loss of a loved one to keep the reality of heaven before us? It motivated Paul. I strive. I stretch. I reach constantly, constantly in service to Christ so that I may re, uh, uh, receive the prize. And see, that, that, that gift to be given, that glory to be shown to him, helps serve as a motivation for the Apostle Paul and what he is doing in his labors for the cause of the gospel. The last thing was that uh, our sanctification is encouraged by looking forward to the glory that is to come. In football... I don't know about college football, high school football. It's not uncommon for guys to go out for football in a couple of weeks, quit. Because it was more difficult than what they thought it was going to be. And so they don't 
strive with it. They don't stay with it. They give it up. Living the Christian life is not an easy calling. You struggle with sin every day. At least I hope you do. You deal with the ravages of the fall. You deal with broken hearts. You deal with pain. You deal with disappointments. Those things are part of the life here in this world. Yet the day will come when you will be perfected in the flesh. I'm not taught, Paul, I don't think, is thinking here about simply dying and going to heaven. He's thinking about the consummation, the resurrection from the dead. That's what he's got in mind here. And the glories he will experience at the resurrection of the dead. You have not been perfected, but you will be one day. Now think about this. To live your life, you with me? To live your life, we're never being tempted to sin again. To live your life, never having to go to the doctor and hear this, you've got cancer. Never again. To live your life without being afraid of anything. To live your life without worry. To live your life in fellowship so closely with Christ, you talk to him face to face. That's where the Apostle Paul in his mind is. As he goes through these verses and talks about the reality of the resurrection to come, it will be something that is so glorious it would do us well to think about it, to never be tempted again, and never face death again. Marianne Tolzma is facing death. I don't think she's going to live. She may, but she's been, she has suffered a severe stroke. Couldn't stop her brain, her, her brain bleed. They couldn't stop it. She's facing death. But she did so as she looked forward to, before she was in this condition, to the reality of heaven. Her husband is there, and he has already heard the angels sing, and he has already seen Christ. He has already been with the company of the redeemed. Marianne will be there soon, I think, to be with the company of God's redeemed. Well, then what about this? We've got these great blessings coming to us at the end of the age. What about in the meantime? What do we do in the meantime? Well... You, me, we are duty-bound to strive after perfection. And uh, you say, well, we can't do that. No, we will never be perfect. But uh, our God is not a God who says, do your best and it's okay with me. He's not a father that says, just do your best, don't worry about it. You know, when your children are in school and they take a test, just do your best. They may be fretful about it. Just do your best. Do the best you possibly can. And that's good enough for me. Andy Griffith said that to Opie in one of the episodes. Do the best you can. That's good enough. Andy Griffith. Everybody knows Andy Griffith, I hope. The Andy Griffith Show, one of my favorite TV shows from a different era. Just do your best. God doesn't say that to us. Jesus said in John and Matthew chapter uh, 5 and verse 48, he says this, and you've heard it many times. Therefore, you are to be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. That's the standard. That's the goal. 
Would God ask you to do something you can't do? Sure he would. Yeah, he would. And though we can't do it, that doesn't mean we don't strive to do it. We are to strive day by day to be perfect, to be obedient to the Lord. Um, uh, I want to read something to you from um, uh, Thomas Matton that I wrote down here. He says this, we are duty bound to strive after perfection and as much as maybe to come as much as maybe to come up to the exactness of the rule. He said as much as we possibly can to come to the exactness of the rule. In other words, uh, we don't say, well, I just can't help help this sin. I can't help it. Well, it's not according to that's not what the Bible teaches. Those temptations overcome you except that which is common to man. The Lord will provide a means of escape, we read in the Scriptures. You can't say this is the way the Lord made me. No, it's not. It's what sin has done to you. It's not the way that the Lord made you. All this nonsense that's going on in our society now about this gender stuff. Genesis says he made the male and female. That's it. No strangeness in that at all. We are to strive as much as possible, as Thomas Manton says, to come up to the exactness of the rule. And we can expect God's grace and help as we strive to do this. In our failures, in our lack of success, in our sins, God is gracious to us. We need to pray for God to give us more grace and mean it and be sincere about it. Thomas Manton also said this. I think it was Thomas Manton that said it. It says, A loud sin cannot stand with sincerity. For those content with a little grace have no grace. Do you hear that? I'll read it again. A loud sin cannot stand with sincerity. For those content with a little grace have no grace. In other words, there's something that we're not dealing with. We're accepting it in our life. And we have to take it seriously. And because God takes it seriously. Grace comes from the God who gives it. To give us the grace to do what Paul talks about here. To strive. Uh, to reach, to stretch, uh, to be engaged in as you see the reality of what Christ has provided for us in the world to come. And he'd have you be there. He secured you for it. Uh, he secured you for it by his life and death and resurrection. He secured you for it by the grace he gave to you. Here's where he wants you to be. Ultimately is in glory. He doesn't say, go sit down on the bench and just wait till that time. No, you're like the Apostle Paul. I strive for it. I labor for it. I work for it by being faithful to Christ, by being faithful to that calling, by being engaged in ministry, by being obedient to the Lord as best I possibly can. Do you know him? Do you love him? If you do, 
then you will strive to be what Christ calls you to be, though imperfectly, nonetheless, to be what Christ calls us to be. We're going to come to the Lord's table in just a moment and, uh, and remind you that this, this table was given to the church by the Lord Jesus Christ. This table is for sinners. We read in the scripture, a man must examine himself before coming to the table as he come in an unworthy manner and eat and drink, not for blessing, but for condemnation. If you're here today and you have unrepentant sin in your life, then you need to come to repentance before you come to the table. Confess your sin to the Lord and uh, rest with certainty that God will forgive you those sins. This is a holy table, and grace is connected to it for those who eat and drink in a worthy fashion. Uh, Let's pray.